Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host, Richard McKenzie, out of the greater Cincinnati area. Today's episode, my goodness, we have had a resurgence and a lot of row houses and row house businesses, meaning office buildings, lately. So I wanted to spend some time talking about investment row houses. So of course this episode most likely and uh, logically is going to be called Row, Row, Row Your Row House Gently Down the Street, of course. What else could I call it? So let's get into this. What is a row house? What exactly is that? I'm sure people have images that come to mind. I know you have been in older cities from time to time and you've seen brownstones and red brick houses and houses that are connected to each other and sometimes there's a foot in between, sometimes there's 12 feet in between, sometimes there's shared walls. So what exactly is a row house? So before we go any further, let's put everybody on the same page and establish a benchmark definition and imagery and characteristics about row houses. First of all, yes, they're going to be older. However, 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 we have seen a resurgence of building them to look like older houses to meet the architecture and sometimes the city uh, approval for building something new after something was torn down was that it had to match and have the same Uh, we call in the industry uh, elevation, okay? It doesn't sound like the right word that it should be called, but the front elevation is exactly that term. So some of these look like they are Georgian architecture. Some of them could be Victorian-looking, Queen Anne sort of with some fancy trim and cornices and other stuff on top. So if you are a, um, <clears throat> and federal architecture as well, some Gothic, etc. So if you're an architect and you're listening, I'm sure I'm probably butchering the terminology, but I'll try to get it as close to the correct architectural styles and descriptions as possible. In Cincinnati, where we are, I have uh, inspected quite a few, or we've inspected quite a few, Uh, in the the over-the-Rhine area, the West End, and the general downtown of Cincinnati. And these red brick houses, row houses, some of them do tend to be connected, some of them are not. And we have various neighborhoods within these areas, um, and there's different price levels depending on what nook and cranny of Cincinnati you are in, and I'm probably sure that the same type of neighborhood breakdown and and uh, groupings of high-end ones, lower-end ones, etc. have taken place in, let's say, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, New York City, uh, and then New York City can be Queens, Brooklyn, uh, of course, uh, uh, all the different areas there, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., etc. Um, San Francisco, of course, you see some of those and they're very hilly and whatnot. So these all have different characteristics and they range from two stories, three stories, four stories. Some of them even can be five stories, a little more rare. And there's lots of stairs 
and in some of them now that they're building and renovating we have seen elevators in them as well um, some of the office buildings that we've been in because each floor represents a different uh, office suite in some of these there of course are going to be elevators and sprinkler systems so these were why why do they exist why do row houses exist why do you have a house connected to a house connected to a house you can call them their houses uh, but sometimes they're even called condos or townhouses um, but land was scarce and as cities started to fill up in the 1880s 1890s 1920s etc um, they don't invent any more land unless something is torn down and people wanted to stay in this particular area but then if they had to uh, move further out and they were in what's called the suburb so some of your older cities your uptown areas maybe near some of the universities that are in a downtown setting those are really former suburbs because you didn't have anybody living further than x y or z and before there were cars um, you had the horse-drawn carriages and cobblestone roads before there was pavement and or brick roads for that matter but you really didn't go further than, you know, maybe a couple miles, maybe even less than that. So you needed to have, you, you need, and tax, the way taxes were also, you built higher instead of, instead of um, wider, because the lot size was based on um, the, the distance from left to right or right to left and how wide your lot was. So you built higher. Ooh, so if you don't need a whole lot of land and you can fit a property on several plots all together and you can fit more housing so that you have a shared wall sometimes so if you're getting the picture that's good because that's that's where this all came from um, and then suburbs of course were built after that and, and streetcars didn't go beyond a certain point and then maybe like in Cincinnati and Pittsburgh you had inclines so you went up some of these hills if you're on a river city the lowest point would be of course down near the river and you got a little bit higher as you went away from the river because water runs downhill how about that um, so that's where these row houses came from uh, the need drove it and the designs uh, were, were, were done therein and then of course in the 1970s in some of these cities and these industrial cities like Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, uh, even Philadelphia, Baltimore, um, some of the shipping and, and, and other stuff that they did near the river, um, they became dilapidated. And when the dilapidated stuff, when the suburbs started getting expensive and, the, and then the uh, city politicians, uh, city councils and whatnot started doing tax abatements which basically takes the taxes from from um, the property and either postpones part of it or, or or exempts you from it it's sort of like well then all the other people who do pay taxes they're paying other people's taxes and so forth and so on so there's pros and cons and no such thing as a free lunch but it is what it is and then so you have tax abatements and that drove more renovations and then you had re regentrifying areas within the city then you started renovating these row houses so if you're buying a row house um, uh, one of the things that we definitely recommend is before you do any renovations 
have a licensed structural engineer give you an evaluation and see if there's anything that needs new supports, new structures, new beams, new joists, new whatever. Because when we go in the basements, a lot of these, the old posts and the old uh, joists sometimes are termite-ridden, sometimes you have stuff spreading apart, sometimes on the upper floors, the walls start pulling away, and you start having brick spreading. And that's why sometimes you see on a lot of these older properties, you, you see these star-shaped star um, fasteners on the ends of rods, okay, that are outside on the brick. These are earthquake rods, and I guess you'd call them a stay or a bolt, whatever you want to call it at the end, that are tightened onto the rod to make sure that stuff doesn't pull apart. But sometimes over time, water that would seep through a roof that's been rotted will get into the brick and then the brick will spread and the grout the mortar in between the bricks will cause deterioration as well and then you you do need some structural reinforcement so if you see a home inspector recommend or suggest highly that you do have a licensed structural engineer that person is in fact doing their job they're not avoiding and and offloading that to another party, they really do suggest, as I would if I were buying one, I would want to make sure that everything about my house is structurally sound before I punch out a wall, renovate, and do some of the incredibly wonderful things that I have seen or we have seen inside some of these houses. I absolutely love the open joist, painted joist design work, some of the rustic hand-hewn lumber um, with spikes instead of nails uh, painted um, you have hardwood and softwood floors um, sometimes you have uh, brick walls that get painted or or paint stained or uh, sealed with lacquer or polyurethane um, I think they just look wonderful now energy efficiency and, and other stuff yeah, these are things you do want to take in consideration if you're buying one to have a licensed or qualified HVAC contractor do some calculations. Because if you open up a three or four story townhouse or row house, you are going to have some changes in the requirements of tonnage for your air conditioner, central air conditioner unit. And you may need some combination of maybe a couple units, a larger one and a smaller one, <clears throat> have a split system, and maybe even on the top floor, maybe you get a ductless heat pump that sits on top of the roof or on top of one of the roofs. If you have a addition on the back that's a little lower than the other stories, and, and that ductless heat pump is something that can take care of the uppermost floor. We've seen that a lot as well. Now, in renovating these units, um, again, the base, everything starts with the basement. That is most important. And uh, to make sure that the supports are correct, we've seen arches on some of the uh, column uh, walls for, uh, for supporting these particular units, especially when you have shared walls, arches in between them tended to be incredibly strong and provided ample support 
structural support for these houses. Um, so, like I said, uh, if you're just tuning in, we have inspected quite a few of these lately. We expect them to continue to inspect a lot of these, which, which is great because I get to see a lot of the really neat architecture and changes that are made on these. Um, now, termite damage can be very real. It's repairable, so don't get too alarmed if, if you do have termite damage. I almost think you, you kind of get scared if you don't see any termite damage because I feel like we might have missed something if we don't find any termite damage. It's not like I'm trying to invent some, but it's really, really hard to go 140 years um, let's say you're 1880 or 1882, so at, at 140 years gets you to current date at, at the time of this recording, but it's really hard to go that length of time without having any um, termite damage. So what else is super important? Well, when you have investors who buy, let's say, several of these row houses, let's say there was a group of six, they're all connected, in a dilapidated area that's getting regentrified, the investor has worked a sweetheart deal for getting, um, uh, or, or super good deal for getting some tax abatements on all six of them. He starts to renovate. First thing he's going to do, of course, is get some roofs on so they can start. So when the home inspector notes in the report that the roof appears to be 10 years old, yet all the appliances in the house as well as the air conditioners and furnaces are only eight years old that's not unheard of because there might be an 18 month gap in between the time that the roof was put on and the time that all the other appliances and other stuff was was were put in because you had to have a waterproof uh, situation so you could work inside then you got your air conditioners, then you got your furnaces, then you got your, <clears throat> and your electric was probably next. However, your electrical panels were probably put up on a certain date, and then the electric was all run. A lot of times, all of the old knob and tube wiring, sometimes there's no wiring in these places if they've been vacant for that long, which again is why it's really important to have a licensed structural engineer evaluate them before you start your renovation really really important okay um, so we've talked about the roof we've talked about uh, some of the uh, other structures inside um, so what are some of the other things that we have seen well we have seen where water infiltration has happened uh, and, and that's something that between believe it or not when the front sidewalk borders up against the front of these row houses that seam between the sidewalk and the front wall of the foundation is very important to keep that well sealed, mortared up really well so water runs away. And a lot of times you have maybe steel, steel plates, doors that were walkout basements to get into the basement for your coal delivery, for fruits and vegetables delivery, um, whatever else was put down in the basement. And then when things are renovated, those steel plates are covered over and then concrete is filled in there, maybe with some, some concrete blocks 
and so forth for the renovation, but they still leave a little bit of a gap so water gets in, and sometimes that can cause issues to the joist ends at these front walls, and that's where we do tend to see some rot and some termite damage. So that's something to make sure that you have a good watertight seal there, okay? Um, Some other things, sometimes you have gutters that are deteriorated that allow water to run down the front of bricks, and then over time that water reacts with the mortar in between the bricks, and you have a, a, a lime interaction thing going on there, and it just causes deterioration of the bricks, and sometimes I call it powderization. It's probably not a word, but it works because when you have an indented, puckered, reverse pucker-looking situation with a brick where part of the brick has, has gone concave and there's like somebody scooped out part of it, that's because you have that deterioration and you have a soft brick issue. That can be fixed with some mortar. It's not that big a deal to have one or two bricks that look like concrete instead of a red brick. But you can get some dyes to mix with the brick, and it'll match pretty good. I've seen some really talented masons uh, spend some good time doing that and making it all look good. Fireplaces. Fireplaces, flues, dampers, lack thereof. On these older houses, these fireplaces are really used for coal. I say that in past tense. They were used for coal. Then sometimes, maybe in the 20s, 30s, 40s, they were then converted to gas. And over time, during that whole time, never ever lined or double walled. Nobody put any metal flues or double metal flues through there. So the brick deteriorates. And when we go on the roof, and I'm going to talk about roofs on these things because that's an adventure in and of itself for an inspector. We, we look down in the chimneys from the roof. If we can get on the roof, there's a hint on what the next part's going to be about. Um, and you can see some deterioration in the clay um, top flue caps that are on there, the, the clay ones. And you've seen them. They're about three feet long or three feet high. And they can be all cracked up. And when raw water runs down in there, a lot of times... If there is a, a, a damper, we can't even slide it or move it or lift it because it's so full of concrete chips and brick chips and brick powder and pigeon poo and dead squirrels and birds. and There's just no telling what's piled up on top of there on the top side of a damper from looking inside the house. What does that mean? That means that For all intents and purposes, these very shallow, and sometimes they're only like 12 inches deep, fireplaces, you really need to look at these as centerpieces. Get a good lacquer coating on it, have a mason, mortar it inside, and use it as decorative, and that way you don't have to worry about ashes getting out on your pine or hardwood floor and burning it and starting a fire. If you're renting it out, you don't have to worry about your tenants burning your place down. It's better for your insurance. But I want a fire in my fireplace. Well, then have a plumber install a a vent-free gas appliance that sits on the hearth. Make sure your hearth is big enough to house something like that. And then you can use it 
And you don't have to use your flue or damper because it's a high-efficiency gas appliance. Does it look wonderful? They look decent. I've used them before, and, and I've managed property where tenants have used those and actually managed it where they actually were their main heating source. It was a very small um, two-room or three-room rental unit, and that 20,000-30,000 BTU uh, gas appliance was plenty of heat for heating that that apartment. Um, so that being said, you definitely want to keep keep things from from being an over robust you know fire in your in your fireplace and, and causing a risk to burning your place down. Um, so I hope that covers that pretty well. Now a lot of times too, these places have very high ceilings. 10 foot minimum, usually 12, sometimes even 14 for the big, we call painted ladies, which were the Queen Anne Victorian style, really tall ones with the huge doors. I've seen some with these 14 foot ceilings are just insane. A lot of people put the drop ceilings in to save money, but you know, it doesn't look great. Um, you can run duct work and then re-drywall it and make it lower. It's better to kind of knock out two feet of it by putting ductwork duct work in and keeping a nice-looking ceiling. So, um, <clears throat> that being said, um, let's go ahead and let's do talk about the roof, okay? A lot of times we have roof hatches where you go to the top floor and there's a roof hatch. Oh boy, do we inspectors love roof hatches. <clears throat> Sometimes we have to put ladders on fire escapes, get on the roof from there. That's not the safest thing to do. I've done it many times. Um, maybe or maybe not my wife is listening to this episode. I don't know. Close, plug your ears, honey. Um, <laughs> that being said, I have climbed on fire escapes on the ladder and gotten on roofs. And uh, there's, the views are really spectacular sometimes. A lot of the pictures that I've gotten from these inspections I really ought to have framed. But, alas, um, other times there's no roof hatch, there's no fire escape. It really just bothers me when people roof over a, a roof hatch. It's sort of like, well, I've got my 42-foot ladder job security. I'm the only one who can work on this. Yeah, well, that just sucks, okay? I mean, we don't have 42-foot ladders. You know, I, I really would prefer not to have to drone the roof and um, and do it that way. I'd rather be able to get on it. And Well, I'm selfish. I really do like the views. I like climbing on these roofs. It's actually pretty exciting, and it's a very fun part of the job. Um, getting on the roof and checking out the basement with arches and other cool stuff that is down there. Um, those are those are really the fun parts of the job for sure. I just love looking at the architectures and all that stuff. So, what types of roofs are you going to see on these on these uh, um, on these row houses? Well, you might see a front elevation part where you have some slate or or tile or other stuff as part of the Queen Anne. Uh, Victorian type architecture on the front or the Georgian dental molding some federal looking stuff architecturally or Rococo or other cool things on the front but 
On the back part, you're going to have what's largely a, a shed-style roof, which is some people call a flat roof, but there really is no such thing as a flat roof because you really do need water to run downhill to get into a gutter to get off the roof. And that's why your gutters are so really, really important to be working well because traditionally on these, um, on these tall, thin row houses, you only have one gutter. So all the water runs to the back, okay? It runs out of one. And then sometimes you have an addition on the back that has one of those slanted roofs that's a left-right slanted roof. And that's going to be a second gutter. So you're really going to have probably a maximum of two gutters on one of these row houses to take the water away from the house. And you'll see most, sometimes you'll have some metal roofs on these, on some of the um, lower priced ones, I would think. And the metal roofs have been painted sometimes. Sometimes they have EPDM that has been put on top of the tin roof, or they have a tin roof that's been painted with several layers of roof paint. Uh, you really want to give a good look at these. You want to make sure you get a good roof inspection. Uh, make sure the flashing's done well. If you have the metal flashing on the edges that is holding on the EPDM roof and or the TPO roof, which is white, okay? And they're going to last somewhere between 15 and 30 years, uh, depending on the type of roof that's put on there. And the flashing needs to be really done well on the sides because wind can get under there and tear stuff off and so forth. And you really, again, you want to have a very good roof inspection. Find out as much as you can. If your roofer wants to uh, roof over the roof hatch, don't. Just tell them no. Don't do that. Um, you want to be able to get on the roof every once in a while and not have that big be a big hassle. 42-foot uh, ladders... Um, you know, if you've got power line near there and you have a, a, a ladder that's meant for not dealing with power lines, it's not going to be aluminum, it's going to be fiberglass, it's going to weigh a freaking ton. It's just going to be really heavy and not many people are going to be able, it's going to take two people to move that ladder to put it in place. It's going to be an all day event and that's just going to be a pain in the butt. You'd really rather have that roof hatch so you can go to the top floor, stick the ladder up, and get on the roof with no problem and make repairs as needed. These TPO or EPDM roofs need an inspection every year or two. They are going to involve some patching, some seam work over the duration of the roof, and it's not going to be a, I put it down, it's going to last 20 years, and I'm never going to have to look at it again. No, no, no. Stuff stretches the sun hits that rubber membrane less so when it's the white TPO roof because it's going to reflect a lot better but that glue and other things that that have have uh, you know uh, well so to speak welded the pieces together are going to um, or and these are air welds they're not like material so <clears throat> they're going to stretch pull apart and then you're going to end up with leaks so every one or two years you're going to want to have those looked at. Sometimes people do put the air, con air conditioners on the roof. Sometimes they put them on the fire escapes. That's all well and good. Um, so being able to access the air conditioner on a roof, my goodness, you can see the advantage of definitely having a roof hatch. How many times do you see on the back of an HVAC truck a 42-foot ladder? That's right, none. Um, <laughs> 
good answer. So uh, enough about the roof. Um, that's what I'll say about that. Well, you mentioned, Richard, you mentioned fire escapes. Yes, I did. A lot of these buildings are going to have fire escapes, are going to have balconies and so forth. So what about the fire escapes? Well, they do really necessitate to have a, a your city official take a look at that fire escape. Sometimes it's the fire department to make sure it meets whatever standard that the city has for those. Okay, so... Don't expect your inspector to spend a whole lot of time looking at the fire escape. If things look like they are chipping away where the bolts are attached and so forth, then that's something we'll note in the report, further valuation and repair needed, etc. But do keep in mind that the bolts don't just go into the brick, they go into the, the floor joists and so forth, the wood members that are inside the building that you can't see hidden inside the walls and floors. So that's where the fire escapes are held to. Um, so it's not just bolted into the brick. So, you know, rest assured, they usually are a little bit stronger than you would give them credit for. Um, I mentioned balconies. Making sure that power lines can't be reached by being on a balcony, sticking your hand out, that's very important. Um, Power companies tend to put sleeves on these things. They used to put them on for free. That's no longer the case. So it is going to cost you something if you have to have a sleeve put on your power line so that your balcony is safe. Think about also the 42-inch rule for your balcony railings. It's not 3 feet anymore. It's not 2 feet. It's not nothing. You really need a 42-inch pretty safe um, sturdy railing on there. Um, so think about that for safety, for not just children, but for, for adults too, especially if you have a malted beverage in hand um, on a roof and so forth. Um, some of the other neat things that we see uh, in, in some of these, these places, you know, they always have an ar architectural and artistic flair inside, and the occupants generally come with an Eames chair, which are those chairs designed by... Uh, Charles and Ray Eames, formerly the, uh, you know, the, the Herman Miller Furniture Company, which is now just Herman Miller, but um, I, I have a son in the design school, so I've started to really focus in on these things, so I, I notice a lot of stuff of, of a architectural and, and design flair for a lot of the people that buy these row houses and renovate them. There's always some pretty cool stuff that I can see that uh, makes it even more exciting and you know, knowing what these things is kind of cool too. So I love to see what people do with with the brick on the wall, the, the ceiling joists where it's an open environment where you're not scared to have ductwork just sitting there as part of the stuff you're looking at. It, it sort of gives it an industrial flair. It, it's a mix of modern, uh, slammed up against historic, historical, and... Um, and in, the, in between they shall meet. And then you also want to make sure you have enough smoke detectors, uh, carbon monoxide detectors, fire extinguishers, especially if you're a property owner who is, re who is um, leasing these out. You do have requirements that each city has about these uh, fire suppression systems, whether, it, uh, and that, well, if it's a, if it's an office complex is one thing, you're definitely going to need the sprinkler, the uh, sprinkler system for the ceiling. But if it is a 
apartment or townhouse that has been cut up into apartments, um, there will be some requirements for uh, smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors, as well as fire extinguishers. So do keep that in mind. Um, I hope I have given, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else I want to mention here, but um, I've gone a little long on this episode. But I I do think that uh, these row houses are very interesting, really pretty cool. Um, And uh, you want to get an inspector that's pretty familiar with the older architectures. Not every inspector does know about the architectures. Um, Also, you want to describe to your inspector what you maybe want to do with it um, if you are going to continue to have uh, renovations done, what some advice you have there. And if your inspector, I'll say this about plumbing, this is real important also, very important. Plumbing, when it sits and does nothing, deteriorates. Just doesn't sit there and get improved and oh, we'll just run air through it and all this stuff. No, no, no. Um, Stuff turns to concrete inside the pipes. And then once water is added to it, after it's been sitting a long time, stuff breaks off, floats downstream, clogs up, catches stuff, and it just is not a good situation. So what do we recommend for plumbing if you are doing a renovation or if you're going to buy one after a renovation is done? Um, I would never assume that your renovator, your flipper, your uh, reno- your general contractor has done anything with the plumbing other than put a new water heater, new fixtures, and so forth. They probably have not run and flushed toilets over and over and over with toilet paper in there to test them out. So that being said, I would highly recommend spending that 300 or 350 additional dollars to have a licensed, keyword licensed, licensed, licensed plumber, not just somebody who watched a couple YouTube videos and does it as an add-on service to their inspection fees, um, have that person scope your drain out with that camera on a cable and tell you what your sewer line looks like. You want to make sure that thing is totally viable all the way from your unit into the sewer line which is underneath the street several feet down and to make sure that is all good and not real crappy yeah i did say that um all right this has been the successful home ownership show with your host richard mckenzie happy hunting out there for your row house um and uh Until our next episode, I really appreciate you listening.